0: You are listening to the Trinity Presbyterian Church Podcast from Petaluma, California. Here is this week's sermon. read your Bibles to Genesis chapter 26. We'll be looking today at verses 6 through 33. Let's stand for our scripture reading for our sermon today. In fact, for context, I'll start at verse 1 I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens, and will, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, "She is my sister," for he feared to say, "My wife," thinking lest the men of, this, of the place should kill me. Because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of the window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah and his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say, she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily lay with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimeh warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land, and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich, and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, and his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley, found there a well of spring water, The herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. And they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So I built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Abuzah his advisor and Philco the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you, so he said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you, and have done to you nothing but good, and sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, We have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba, Beersheba uh, to this day. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beery the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basement, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebecca. Amen. Maybe seated. I actually intended to read those last two verses next next time you go on Genesis so keep that in mind for next next time Well as I gave us a few verses for context we, we read what we saw in last week's passage that a famine came upon the land talking in land Canaan. God then appeared to Isaac and told him not to leave the land to go down to Egypt for food. remember, that is what his father abraham had done back in genesis 12 when a famine hit the land of canaan and i pointed out then in genesis 12 that was the sort of wrong trajectory wrong direction for abraham god had called abraham to go to the land of canaan and was going to give abraham the land of canaan and so abraham back then in genesis 12 he had to leave the promised land to go down and sojourn in Egypt because of the famine that was his thinking. That was the wrong trajectory of redemptive history. And you remember the trouble that came along with that. That is sadly when, when Abram went down to Egypt because he feared the Egyptians, Abraham lied to Pharaoh and he told Pharaoh that Sarah was just his sister. Thankfully God mercifully saved them out of that and brought them back to the promised land. But I remind you, as we went through Genesis 12, we talked about how, uh, in so many ways, uh, Abraham uh, uh, did not do well there and and sinned by so presenting Sarah in that way. Well, later on in Abraham's life, in Genesis chapter 20, you might recall, Abraham was sojourning in the area of Gerar. That's the same area of today's passage. Remember, that was in, when you think of the promised land, This is the area of Gerar, sort of the southwestern area of the Promised Land, sort of on the outskirts of the Promised Land. It was land at that time that was controlled by the Philistines. And sadly, back then, Abraham in Genesis 20, again out of fear, lied to the Philistines by saying Sarah was just his sister. So the same problem he did in Egypt, he did again there with the Philistines. Again, God graciously intervened. He ultimately protected and restored Sarah to Abraham, and things worked out very well there because of God's gracious workings. Remember, that's when Abraham entered into a covenant of peace with the Philistines at the location of Beersheba, at the same time as resolving a dispute over a well. Sound familiar at all? We have some similar things going on in today's passage. You might even remember that at that time, when Abraham made a covenant with the Philistines, he was interacting with King Abimelech and an army commander named Philchol. So now we see Isaac in this next generation. He also deals with an Abimelech and a Philchol. And just to clarify, we don't know if these are the same people, actual people. If they were the same people, realize they would be very old at this point. Not impossible, but... The other option, which is very uh, understandable, is that these may have been dynastic names that were bestowed on the leadership of the Philistines. Uh, We, in fact, we know when it comes to the title of Abimelech that that did become used in that way. For example, Psalm 34 uh, sees one of the Philistine lords at that time, which we know by a different name, also is referred to as Abimelech. Kind of similar, think of how Roman emperors mm-hmm. had their name, but they could also be called Caesar, kind of something along those lines. So it's possible that Abimelech and Philcol are sort of titles given to these two people in those sort of top position roles, king and army commander. But it really doesn't matter for the purpose of our study today. It's not going to make any difference on the understanding of the passage one way or another. But what we do see here is Isaac is having to navigate similar concerns that Abraham had to navigate. And he's trying to obey God, who told him, don't go down to Egypt, stay here. So he's he's trying to be faithful to what God has called him to do. But we'll see how he navigates these challenges that are before him. So as we study today's passage, we'll divide this up into three scenes. Uh, You'll see that's the very elaborate outline we have today, scene one, two, and three. But as we consider each of these scenes, the topic that's going to come out of all of this, or the theme that we're going to be considering today, is fear. Fear. Fear is a strong emotion. It has the power to spur us on to do great things. If you're afraid for the right things, and respond with wise, right actions. On the other hand, fear also has the power for bad, right? If we're afraid of the wrong things. Or we let our fear be a catalyst for sinful responses. And right? you think of, on the one hand, um, the phobias. You know, those phobias, that's the word fear there. Phobias are usually when you're afraid of things, things you shouldn't be afraid of. Right? I think of uh, Charles when he was jumping out of those airplanes. I, I think all those people before they jumped out of those airplanes, they had some hopeful, good fear to make sure everything's buckled on and tightened and ready, right? There's a good fear and a bad fear. Let's begin then by studying this first scene, verses 6 through 11. Here's this scene where Isaac holds out his wife. Rebecca as his sister. As merely his sister. Uh, The scene begins when Isaac sets up camp there along the Philistine area of Gerar. Uh, Remember, we talked about this not that long ago. This is in God's providence where we're at today, right? It's the same area that they're fighting over right now, over currently, Israel and Hamas. It's in that that Gaza, modern day Gaza Strip area. So, you know, this is maybe probably helps you to think about the the, the geography here. Uh, Because of the famine, uh, apparently, Isaac thinks or hopes this is an area within the bigger promised land area that, that could sustain him, uh, maybe better, during that time. You remember Abraham, while he sojourned a lot in the Hebron area, which is more northern, uh, he also spent a lot of time over here. And you can imagine, based on weather and climate conditions, maybe you move around, you've got flocks to where it's going to be the best area for the, that season. So, here. Uh, We're remembering Abraham had peaceful relations with the Philistines, and now Isaac comes, and Isaac puts himself in this area for a season. What happens? Well, like father, like son, Isaac tells Abimelech of the Philistines Rebekah is his sister.
1: Again, this is not good. This is not good.
0: We should not be surprised that a parent's besetting sins sometimes end up getting passed on to their children whether intentionally or just they see it and mimic it over time you might recall when abraham did it he even tried to justify his sin to abimelech by saying sarah was technically his half-sister which did not make it right as i pointed out there. But guess what? That doesn't work for Isaac. Isaac is, n- there is... Rebecca is not his half-sister or any sort of sister to Isaac. In other words, Isaac's all the more was just a
1: bold-faced lie.
0: Notice that Isaac makes this lie just after God commanded him in verse 5 to be obedient to God like his father Abraham had been. I think he might as look at the wrong way. <laughs> well, like so many lies, Isaac's is eventually uncovered. Abimelech sees Isaac and Rebekah in some sort of personal moment that unveils the truth. We don't know the details. Abimelech then confronts Isaac in verse 9. He admonishes Isaac in verse 10. Abimelech explains to Isaac how evil that was of him. Because if someone had taken Rebekah for his wife without realizing the truth, it would have brought guilt upon him. Actually, he puts it in the corporate. It would have brought guilt on the whole people that would happen. happened. In other words, Isaac's actions looked to protect his own life at the potential expense of others, not to mention
1: his wife.
0: How horrible, how sinful to treat his wife like that. He should have been willing to lay down his life for his wife, not to be so quick to sacrifice her for his own sake. Now, in case it is not obvious, let me ask the question, why? Why does Isaac sin like this? Well, the answer is told to us specifically in verse 7. Why does he lie about Rebekah? Verse 7, he feared the Philistines. There it is. There's the answer. Why? He feared the Philistines. He was afraid for his life, so he lied. As I said, fear can be an impetus for good, but it can also become a motivation for our sin. That's what goes on here. I think in Isaac's case, we're supposed to, as the the outside observer looking down at what's going on here, uh, seeing the, the big picture of the text I think we're supposed to see that he didn't need to be afraid not just because of how it works out because of what the Bible ends up doing but remember what just happened in the scene just before this God had just came to him and told him what we have in verses 1-5 through 5. I mean God had just reaffirmed the Abrahamic covenant to Isaac and everything that was going to unfold God had just assured Isaac of his blessings and his presence God's word should have dispelled this fear of man in Isaac's life so that by the grace of God despite Isaac's sin when the truth comes out that Rebekah is his wife it does not result in Isaac losing his life what he feared right in fact King Abimelech makes this wonderful pronouncement in verse 11 no one is to harm them remember back to Genesis 12 when God made those blessings and promises to Abraham one of those things God told Abraham whoever blesses Abraham will be blessed whoever curses Abraham will be cursed That is now true for Isaac, as he has inherited that same promise and blessing. So what does Abimelech do here? Abimelech, he blesses Isaac. He blesses Rebekah with protection. What's implied is they can also continue to sojourn in the land. They can continue to be temporary residents in the land and have their cattle and livestock be feeding off the land. Which is, by the way, what Abraham and Abimelech were, what the conclusion was for them to. Abimelech invited them to stay in the land and, and sojourn there. So, in our first point, in this first scene, we see God's grace toward Isaac. Despite his fear that led to this sin, God blesses him, God gives him safety among the Philistines. That blessing will continue as we head now to the second scene and look at verses 12 through 22. Here we see Isaac growing prosperity. And realize it's in the context of this whole incident with the wells. The Philistines begin to persecute them with regard to these wells. So he's growing prosperous in the context of Philistine persecution over the wells. Verse 12 begins by telling us how Isaac Reap a hundredfold there in the land of the Philistines. And by the way, this drain of famine, right? So remember Jesus, remember he had that parable, right? The parable about the seed bearing a harvest of 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. I hope it's obvious, right? You'd rather get 100-fold harvest than 30-fold harvest, right? Both are great. So Isaac here, he has 100 hundredfold harvest. Verse 13 specifically tells us he gets rich. He is very wealthy. Verse 14 talks of all his flocks, and herds, and servants, and all that he obtains. Our men's study recently just had a little lesson on, on, on riches. And we were reminded that God does not forbid his people from being rich. In fact, if you are rich for honest reasons, that's actually God's blessings upon upon you. Of course, we also talked about a lot of the challenges of falling in love with money and making money an idol and all the sin that can come from a love of money. Um, so putting it in the right biblical perspective, and here we see an example of a person of God who happens by the blessing of God to be very rich. Now, Isaac's prosperity then becomes a source of conflict between him and the Philistines. Verse 14 tells us why. This is one of those problems with money now. The Philistines become envious. The Philistines begin to envy Isaac. They see how rich he's becoming in their midst. And I think what you're probably trying to get into your mind, you're sort of yourself in their shoes. And what were they thinking? Probably what's going on is they're seeing this foreigner that they've allowed to be on their land. And they think, how come he, this foreigner, is allowed to prosper in our land? Probably some of their thinking is somehow he's doing it at our expense. Somehow we're poor because he's richer. I'm sure that's some of the uh, thinking uh, that they were going through because of their envy. And so verse 16, Abimelech comes. He sees this going on, sees this going on in his people. And he, he comes to Isaac and asks Isaac to move along, move, move away. Thank you for coming. Abimelech points out how mighty Isaac had become. He speaks of Isaac's power and strength when he uses that language of mighty. And you might remember getting back to Abraham's day, right? But Bimelech back then allowed Abraham to sojourn among them. But now uh, that's changing. Isaac, at first, was allowed to do that. But now he becomes so big, so mighty, the people are becoming envious. And Bimelech thinks, wisdom says we should have Isaac move on. Isaac listens to them like, He moves at least a little away. And you could probably get, get this just by, by seeing that he was in Gerar, and now he's moved to the Valley of Gerar, right? It's, it's just the very name that tells you he moved a little bit away. He didn't move from Gerar to San Jose, right? He moved, <laughs> he moved quite, quite a short distance. Um, but that's when this issue about the well comes into focus. Uh, We learned back in Abraham's day here that apparently Abraham made various wells in that area, while Abraham was sojourning in that general area. And the Philistines had stopped up those wells. In other words, they were wells that worked, but Abraham wasn't there anymore using them. And so they filled them up with dirt or something and made it so that those wells could no longer function. Realize why you would stop up a well? You would stop up a well because you want to keep people out. Because you want to keep people out because you're not big enough, mighty enough, powerful enough to make use of those wells yourself. Right? I mean, if you have this big, vast, you know, livestock and servants and all that, those wells are really important, right? You water is, is crucial to life. And so if you had enough resources, you wouldn't stop up the well, you would just move on in and say, Oh, I'm glad there's a well here no one's using. But they weren't big enough is the point. But they didn't want other people to do that. So they stop up the wells to sort of say, keep the outsiders uh, out. So Isaac moves out in this valley region. He begins to redig these wells. Uh, he even gives them their original names. But that's when we see this conflict coming up with him and the Philistines. Once Isaac fixes a well, they claim rights over the water. He names this first well that's mentioned Essek, which means contention, and he basically surrenders it to the Philistines and he moves a little farther away. And then he rebuilds another well, and the same thing happens. This time he names the well Sitna, which means enmity. This time, uh, again, he he surrenders the well, and he moves yet farther away. So this time, then, he he makes a well, and no one disputes it, and so he's thankful, he names that one Rehob, which means like room or open space, and he gives the Lord the credit. I think this is important, this is a really good thing. He credits the Lord for them being able to finally, quote, find space, find room, find Raboth uh, there in the region where the Philistines have been, had been bothering him because of his presence there. He's now moved far enough away and found a place where he could be without them, Bothering him. So they can now, it says, be fruitful in the land, which mirrors how the scene started them being fruitful, and then this conflict, conflict, and now room for him to continue
1: to be fruitful.
0: Now, when we see how Isaac dealt with the Philistines here, when they kept taking his well, or wanting, I'm sorry, to take his well, wanting to argue about the well, quarrel about the well, when we see how Isaac dealt with with that. Uh, we can notice the conflict did not become bigger in the sense that it wasn't like they went to fight, there wasn't an armed battle. Why? Because you know, he just walks away from those wells that they redone. The Philistines, when they do that, right when they're taking these wells and, and having that, they're setting themselves as enemies against Isaac. But instead of opposing those enemies, Isaac just lets them have what they want. Now, in matters of conflict resolution. We know that there is a, a time for overlooking matters. Uh, we can even talk in terms of meekness that overlooks a matter. There's a meekness uh, that says it's, nice. it's better to be wrong than just, uh, just to let go of love. There, there can be a meekness that says, as much as it depends on me, I will live at peace with all people. And I've certainly seen Isaac credited by certain commentaries with meekness here of that sort.
1: And maybe there's some truth to that.
0: But I, 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 I think we should ask the question now. Is that really what's going on here? Is that why Isaac is just giving over these balls? Because he's so meek and such a peacemaker. I think there's another motivation that our text would lead us to see instead going on here of why does isaac keep just backing off why does he let these aggressive philistines sort of keep taking what he just you know what had become there i i think the other motivation option is fear he was afraid of what might happen if he didn't give in to the philistine demands
1: And that's a question, then, is Isaac driven
0: here when he gives over those laws is he driven by meekness or by fear? I believe the context of this chapter would have us to see he's driven by fear.
1: We saw his fear mentioned in
0: the first scene explicitly. That's why he lied about, about Rebecca. Next scene, our third scene, fear will again be explicitly addressed. I think the context here in between we should presume that what's going on here is isaac is having fear i mean i guess i can't blame him he's a foreigner in a strange land trying to find a place for himself he's afraid of these people and it's not like it's an unfounded fear i mean they are acting aggressively to him right they wait for him to rebuild the well before they come in and say actually that's our water i mean i can imagine why he might be struggling with fear in a situation like that well let's turn into our third scene and consider verses 23 through 33. here the action turns to that historic location of Beersheba. that's the setting for our third scene now that's where abraham and Abimelech had previously made their own covenant of peace now it becomes a place where isaac and the Philistines make another new covenant of peace. Of course, you might even wonder why this covenant is even needed. If you remember back when Abraham and Abimelech made their covenant of peace, there was actually reference to that this is a covenant not just for us, but for our descendants. You might think, well, isn't there already a covenant in place? But Abimelech, but given the circumstances, thought, we need to reaffirm, formally renew and reestablish this covenant of peace for the current generation. Notice, though, the scene actually begins before that. It's still in Beersheba, but the scene actually begins with God appearing to Isaac at Beersheba. Notice the specific emphasis of what God says says to Isaac here. The things God tells Isaac here at Beersheba are almost, almost identical with what God told Isaac at the beginning of our chapter. The sorts of specific promises and things, we can find them at the beginning of the chapter. But did you notice the little difference? The little additional nuance that comes now here when God speaks to Isaac at Beersheba. The only real difference is this one little phrase. Fear not. That's the difference. Here God at this moment tells Isaac what he could have read between the lines of before, but now God makes it explicit. Fear not again confirms, what did I just argue for, that why was Isaac walking away from these wells? It was not out of meekness, I don't think it was. I think it was out of fear. And God then comes right after that and tells Isaac, fear not. That's what Isaac needed to hear. At that moment he needed to hear this.
1: Don't be afraid.
0: You don't need to be afraid. God had already told him that God would be with him, would bless him as he sojourned in the land. He could have discerned that he didn't need to be afraid, but God sees what Isaac is struggling with and encourages him and assures him, fear not, for I am with you. That's a promise we see to God's people at various places in Scripture. Fear not, for I am with you. And God's words do not return void on Isaac, because Isaac responds in worship. He builds an altar there. He calls upon the name of the Lord. I think we're supposed to understand that he's encouraged and believes God's promise. It has a new boldness that he didn't have before. And so Abimelech and Phil call show up along with an advisor, they show up there at Beersheba. They meet with Isaac. Notice how Isaac responds in verse 27. He says, why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me, and have sent me away from you? Isaac's words there have a boldness that you have not yet seen in this chapter. And I think we should see them as a, as a fruit of that encounter there with God. I think we should see Isaac having a sort of a newfound courage as a fruit of God's word to him. Isaac has begun to put away fear that he didn't need to have. He is beginning to trust God would be
1: with him as he promised. And we
0: see that Isaac's courage is not misplaced. Abimelech explains why they have come. Verse 28. Look at why they came. The answer is the Lord, all capitals by the way. (laughs) They acknowledge that the Lord has been with Isaac, that that the Lord has, has blessed Isaac. That's why they want to make a covenant of peace with Isaac. God had told Isaac, fear not why, I will be with you and I will bless you. The people whom Isaac feared show up and say, we've noticed God's blessed you. See the connection. So then what do they say? Let's have peace. Let's have friendship. It's interesting. They assert they've treated Isaac well. Isaac doesn't mention the conflict that he's been encountering with the Philistine herdsmen over the wells. Very likely, and Bilek didn't know even about those, those specific quarrels. If anything, now maybe this is a time where Isaac is showing some of that meekness category because he doesn't mention, well, you say you treat me right, but actually your guys keep taking our wealth. He doesn't even mention that. Maybe that's some godly meekness here in light of his newfound confidence in the Lord. But there is an interesting backstory that goes on. Maybe you caught it. Right at the beginning of the Beersheba scene. They talk about building a well or looking for a well, digging a well at Beersheba. The passage ends after the peace treaty, they found a well at Beersheba. The idea is as this treaty is going on, where they're where they're formalizing their friendship, simultaneously, God's blessing Isaac with, with the importance of finding a, a well there at Beer-sheba. A further confirmation, Isaac's faith is not misplaced. God is with him, God will bless him, even in something tangible like a well. And I think we don't appreciate. The value of a well today as much as they probably appreciate is how life uh, uh uh essential to life a well would have been back then. well isaac and philistine make this treaty of peace verse 30 they have a feast first next morning they make formal oaths i believe we should understand that this feast is not just isaac showing hospitality but it's actually part of the whole covenanting idea see we have a meal like that. You don't have a meal like that with an enemy. And so it's common in, in, in peace treaty covenants that you would have sit down and have a meal together to, to tangibly express your fellowship that you have in, in, in the context of the covenant. And they could call it fellowship of its own sort. Well, at the end, uh, after they have that meal and they exchange their oaths and make that covenant, it says that. The Philistines departed peace, verse 31. And so the treaty with the Philistines, the one you know, that Abraham had with them, it essentially gets reaffirmed, even as this name of Beersheba also gets reaffirmed at that historic location. While well, stepping back, then, we realize this was a commendable outcome. Right? Genesis has been showing us. It is good for the nations to recognize god's blessing in that line that line of abraham and now isaac it's been good for them to recognize that the philistines recognized that here at that moment and that trajectory of course of the importance of, of recognizing god's blessing in that line that trajectory continued on from there until isaac's greater son was born jesus Promised Seed of Abraham and Isaac, and what does Jesus now have us do? Bring the message of peace and blessing, the gospel, boldly to the nations. this, on boldly, led of our topic for today, so that the world can find blessing in Christ in a covenant of peace with Him. That gospel offer that we bring to the nations is not simply that they could find a peace from a distance you live here, all live here, but the gospel offers the nations to be brought into God's people, to be united as one people of God in friendship, in an eternal covenant of peace. That's what Isaac's greater son, Jesus, has told us to bring to the nations today. And so, saints of God, this is our story as well. This is what we've become. God has brought us near to him and to his people. He tells us we are no longer strangers and aliens to him, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of his heavenly household. Sound familiar? That's from Ephesians. This is heavenly truth. Meaning it's a truth very clearly seen from the vantage point of heaven, but not necessarily seen very easily from our vantage point here on earth. But we see it in faith.
1: We hold it in faith.
0: And that faith will one day become sight. When Christ returns and the whole world will see that we are not strangers and aliens in heaven but we are citizens of heaven here who have been here on this earth in the midst of this one calling for them to come
1: to King Jesus
0: so that means because Christ has not yet come back he still has us here on this earth for a purpose and with a message. We are right now strangers and aliens on this earth. We are, spiritually speaking, sojourners here. Right now, God's having us sojourn in the North Bay of San Francisco. Our real real home is in heaven. As he has each of us here today, he tells each of us again today Fear not, for I will be with you.
1: We need that encouragement.
0: Because think of how those nations are going to respond when we bring this, this message to them of peace. Some will recognize that the Lord is with us. Some will see the Lord's blessing on us, and they'll want in they want to join us in peace, but others will not accept our message. They will even set themselves as enemies against us. We will need to pray for the, the boldness that knows we don't need to fear. Instead, as much as it depends upon us, let us seek to live at peace with all people and pray for our enemies. And especially hold out the gospel to our enemies. And let us do so then with with the meekness and the boldness that we have from the Lord. May God see fit then to make those enemies not only friends, but even brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord God, we, we Christians have seen seen enemies around us, persecution around us. People have called us hateful, bigoted, even as they spew hatred upon us. Or we pray for them, O oh Lord, we pray they would see their need for you, that they would recognize the condemnation of the world, that they would flee the wrath to come, and that they would do so by, by coming to Jesus that they would join with us as friends in Christ, that they would know your gracious salvation. Lord, help us to love our enemies, help us to show kindness to them, help us to be meek, but not weak, to be uh, not fearing them, uh, to be uh, humble, but also to have a strength and a courage and a boldness that comes knowing who we are in Christ and the truthfulness and urgency of the message uh, that we have been entrusted with. Lord use us in this fallen world for the sake of Christ in his kingdom who taught us to pray saying our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil